Steel Profiles podcast is brought to you by AISC Continuing Education. Visit AISC.org seminars to find a seminar in a city near you. Welcome to another episode of Steel Profiles. I'm your host, Margaret Matthew, Senior Engineer in the Continuing Education Department at AISC. My guest today is Cynthia J. Duncan, Director of Engineering at AISC. Cindy received her bachelor's degree in architectural engineering from the University of Colorado at Boulder and her master's degree in civil engineering from Cornell University. Cindy has been at AISC for over 20 years where she was the first female engineer on the technical staff. Cindy is the secretary for both the specification committee and the manuals committee. Today I'll be talking to Cindy about her experiences at AISC, about the upcoming 14th edition steel construction manual, and other upcoming publications. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today for our podcast series. Thank you for having me, Margaret. It's a pleasure. You're the Director of Engineering here at AISC. Uh, What does that mean that you do exactly? Well, I oversee the development of all of our technical publications, and that includes the various specifications, standards, design guides, and manuals. However, much of the development is done through committees, so I work with a lot of volunteer uh, committee members. And except for the design guides, I would say the design guides are written by individuals and then peer-reviewed by outside reviewers. So that's basically... So all the publications that come from AISC, that's all All your... All the technical publications. Technical. So how did you decide to become an engineer? I have to admit that I didn't start college out with the intention to be a structural engineer. And it wasn't until the middle of my junior year in college that I declared a major in architectural engineering. And really, it wasn't a family member that influenced me or anything, but my roommate at the time, her father owned a firm, a a successful consulting firm in Denver. It was in civil engineering and I was intrigued by his career and Did you know you wanted to be an engineer? I actually didn't know I wanted to be an engineer. (laughs) So math and science were my strengths, Mm -hmm. and um, I just thought that that was a practical path to go down at that point. And you went to school in Colorado? Yes, University of Colorado at Boulder. And your degree is architectural engineering. That's correct. And then I have a a master's degree from Cornell University in civil engineering. That architectural engineering degree is kind of a hard degree to find. I think. It is. I think there's a limited number. I know Penn State Penn has State. one. Lou. Yes. <laughs> That's right. How did you come to work at AISC? When I graduated from Cornell University, my husband at the time had a job in Chicago. So we moved to Chicago and I was looking for a job and found an ad in the Chicago Tribune. Yes, this was before <laughs> the internet. So all the ads were in the newspaper and it was with AISC and I came in and interviewed with Jerry Heyer who was the Vice President of Engineering and Research at the time. Very charming, charming, witty, bright engineer. And I did get an offer from AISC, but I also got an offer from a consulting firm in Chicago at the same time. And I decided to go with AISC because I thought it was a unique opportunity, Mm -hmm. um, that the type of work I would be doing would be very unusual. And also I was really um, impressed with Dr. Heyer and later actually found out he has four children who are engineers and three of them are women. Excellent. He was very supportive of me in my early career. So this was your first job out of college? Actually, after my bachelor's degree, I worked uh, for a construction manager in Toledo, Ohio, for a year. Okay. Then went back to school. Wow. So, so you've been here. You've been here for over twenty years. Yes, I have. <laughs> I don't want to put an age on you, Cindy, but no. you've been here for over twenty years. 
you were one of the pioneering female employees here at AISC, and the staff now is about half female, uh, which is more diverse than a lot of engineering offices. Why is it that you think AISC is atypical in its diversity? Well, I thought a lot about this question, and actually, AISC had been in existence for 60 years when I was hired in the mid-80s as the first female engineer at AISC. And actually, we haven't brought on more women engineers until probably the last 12 to 15 years. So it was another over a decade before we brought in more. And what I think it really is, is the openness of the um, managerial staff responsible for hiring at AISC right now or over the last 10 years. They're very um, open to hiring women engineers. Yeah, I think that's, that's usually where it has to start. Mm-hmm. So. Is, yeah, who's doing the hiring and who's at the top, so. Right. Has AISC changed in the time you've been working here, I guess, other than all the extra women around the office? Yes, it's changed tremendously, and there's several, there are several things I could point out. I'll start with the most obvious things. One is that our location has changed. When I came to AIC in 1985, we were in the Wrigley Building, which is a very historic building oh, in Chicago. Oh, I didn't know we were there. Yes, just across the river from here. And in the late, like 1990, we moved to the building we're in now, which is on uh, the corner of State Street and Wacker. And we did make one move from the 31st floor to the 7th floor, which is where we're at right now. Also, the office environment has changed dramatically. When I started, all the men were wearing suits and ties. And actually, it wasn't in writing, but I was expected to wear a skirt and, oh. you know, heels and the whole thing. I remember... You still kind of do that, though. I do still do that. That's <laughs> very well, very well dressed. <laughs> Maybe the men have uh, relaxed a bit in our office. I think more Scott and I talked women. about that a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Scott Melnick, he, he talked about it. He thinks he pioneered that. He probably did because he dresses very casually. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, also, I would say that smoking was allowed in our office when I started. Even though an occasional cigar would come out, there was a gentleman that I'd walk in his office and there'd be wafting smoke <laughs> coming out of the door in my department. Um, and then we, we had a smoking room for a while and now it's not allowed at all, of course. So that, those are the obvious things that come to my mind. The average employee age has decreased. I remember Scott Melnick mentioned that in his interview also. The average age of the employees has decreased. A lot of the people after I came to AIC retired, I'd say within the next seven years, they re retired everyone in my department. I think AISC is more customer oriented than we were back at that time. We offer a lot of free stuff to our members, mm -hmm. free design guides, free standards. Of course, this comes with the advent of the internet. Sure. We didn't have that at that time, so you had to buy the specification. So we give a lot of free things um, on our website. And also the change in the fee structure for members has changed. That changed in the early 2000s, I believe. So we've increased our number of professional members tremendously. It's over 25,000 now, and I think it used to be you know, under 10,000 easily before that. Also, we have the Solution Center that answers all the technical questions that come in from consulting engineers or students. And when I first started at AISC, we actually had to take turns answering calls and we'd get cold <laughs> calls that the receptionist would just decide which one of there'd be like three or four of us that they'd forward calls to and we'd have to answer whatever the question was <laughs> and On of course spot. I was an entry-level engineer so a lot of those questions were really <laughs> a challenge for me 
And then we came to the point where we just said, all right, one person, which was Patrick Newman mm -hmm. for a while, would answer all the technical calls, which was a lot easier because it was hard to get your work done when sure. you were constantly interrupted with this phone call. You never know when it was coming in. So the Solution Center is now much more um, organized. And, and that's been all they do. For 10 years? About the same time as when we redid our professional membership structure. I think that all came in around the same time where we started up EPUBs, and mm -hmm. it was all around that same time period, around the turn of the century. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is the turn of the century, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then also, one more thing I want to mention is that National Steel Construction Conference mm -hmm. used to be two conferences it was the Engineering Conference and the Operating Personnel, I believe, conference, which was more oriented to fabricators mm -hmm. and industry people. And so by combining them in the 90s, at some point we combined them into one conference, and that has increased um, in attendance tremendously. Those are the things that come to my mind. That's that a lot of changed. things. <laughs> at and I'm sure I've just touched the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> That's good though, you know, constant constant change, you know, kind of always keeps things new and fresh and growing. Right. And it make, keeps it interesting. Yes, so definitely that's interesting. partly why I'm still here, probably. <laughs> okay, so when is the big date? When will the 14th edition manual be out and available? July 1st of this year, so just... Oh, um, that's coming up soon. Coming Actually, up. this podcast will be up on Friday, July 1st. Okay. So the day this goes up, how exciting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, how exciting. <laughs> uh, the other big question on everybody's mind is what color is the new manual going to be? It is going to be maroon. And who makes that decision? Well, for many editions, uh, for a long time, it was the AISC Board of Directors. Oh. And more recently, it's been our department, the Engineering and Research Department, has had the privilege of choosing the color. And actually, this time, I chose the color because I'm the primary person that worked on the manual. It, was there any reason for maroon? <laughs> Some kind of school color, perhaps? <laughs> no, it actually is not a school color. Um, People who have that as a color are going to say that's why. But. I know. I <laughs> have to say, and we have chose we have chosen manual colors based on school colors in the past. You know, right? Oh. The dark blue, I believe, was Penn State. <laughs> Is, is that right? Is everybody supposed to know that? <laughs> Should I edit that out? Anyway, uh, first of all, I, I like the color maroon, I have to say. But second, and maybe more importantly, it is the color that was uh, the sixth edition manual. Oh, was I was going to say, has it ever been maroon before? Yes, which came out in the early 60s, I believe around 1963. And it contains some important changes in the specification. It's where high strength steel was introduced. Oh, okay. K factors. Uh, and second order effects were incorporated. And therefore, because of that, I think that the color exemplifies innovation in state-of-the-art steel design. So. Excellent, so there is a reason. Yes, there is a reason. Well, good, I didn't know that. So now when people ask me now, I'll know. Okay. <laughs> I get asked that a lot on the road. So what do you think is the most significant change in this manual compared to the 13th edition? Well, there's a lot of important changes, but the manual actually contains a 2010 specification. And the manual's based on the specification. It's important to remember that. The manual is not the standard, and the standard is not the manual, but when engineers specify in their contracts, they should specify the specification for structural steel buildings. And one of the big changes in the specification in 2010 is that the bolt shear strengths for bearing type connections were increased by 10 to 12 percent. 
And so therefore, many of the tables related to connection design in the manual have changed based on that uh, change in the specification. I think that's probably the most overwhelming change that's affected many lot parts of, of the manual, and including the single plate uh, connection design procedure also was revised because of that. So that's the most significant? Yes, I think that's the most important change. Is the rumor true that this manual will be available electronically? Yes, the rumor is true. The manual will be available in PDF format and there will be special pricing structure if you buy both the manual in printed format and the electronic version. If you get both, it's going to be $275 for members and $550 for non-members. So will you be able to just buy the electronic version if you want to? Yes. If you just buy the electronic version, it'll cost the same as buying the printed version of the manual. Okay. So When I interviewed Jim Fisher, uh, he gave us an overview of how the specification committee functions. Uh, can you give us an idea of how the manuals committee works? It works a lot more, I would say, casually than the specification committee. As you know, Margaret, you're involved with both. <laughs> yes and you can see the differences. The manual committee has about 30 members and it has grown over the years, I know, and it doesn't have to be a balanced committee, which means it doesn't have to have equal numbers of engineers and um, educators and industry participants, but it's fairly balanced, I would say. Uh, we have five manual subcommittees and they're the working groups under the man main manual committee. And those are relatively new. We just started those for this last edition of the manual. So they discuss topics or questions that have come up through the Solution Center primarily, and then also some of the ideas come from within the committee. And then they come to the main committee if there's questions or it needs more discussion, the main manual committee discusses these changes. But sometimes they don't even bring it to the main committee. It just gets into the manual and doesn't have to be voted on. But that's because the manual is really based on the specification, which does follow a very regimented process. So we don't have to address negatives. We just take ballots at the meetings. And as I said, not everything's even balloted. So uh, I understand that Bill Thornton, who is the chair of the committee, the manuals committee, is stepping down after 25? Yes. 25 years. Bill Thornton's been the chairman of the manual committee for over 25 years. He's not even sure how long it's been, because <laughs> I've tried to pinpoint him on what year did he start and he just can't remember but he will be replaced next year by Mark Holland who's currently the vice chairman of the manual committee and Mark's with Paxton Beerling Steel. So, so that'll be a big change. Yes it will be after all those years. After all those years. And he's done a great job. Yes he Bill's has. wonderful to work with. You're the resident expert on consensus committee procedures uh, and you shepherd AISC's status as an ANSI accredited standards developer. Um, what does that involve and how has it changed AISC's processes from the time when AISC was not ANSI accredited? Well, I'd say the process has become much more regimented and I think the committee when I was younger starting out, there'd be arguments within the committee and just the stronger argument, <laughs> the stronger person would win the argument. <laughs> But nowadays, if there's a negative on a ballot, it has to be resolved. There has to be a good reason to find a negative non-persuasive. And if it's found non-persuasive, the whole committee has the opportunity to change their vote on that particular item based on the response to that negative voter. And we've, I've actually seen 
with the 2005 specification, I saw negatives be upheld by the committee. So the process really works better mm -hmm. this way, I believe. And the committee does have to be ba balanced, has to be fairly equal parts of consulting engineers, academics, and general interest, which that category includes uh, people from NIST and just uh, basic welding consultants. We have someone with Lincoln Electric, Dwayne Miller. Mm -hmm. So the committee is very balanced. And we have actually two committees right now that are ANSI accredited. That would be the Committee on Specifications and also the Connection Pre-Qualified Review Panel. And they approve the Pre-Qualified Connection Standard for special moment frames, intermediate moment frames. Um, the Committee on Specifications approves the main specification as well as the seismic provisions and the nuclear specification. I would say that the, the process is more regimented, but I do think it works It's a good much process. Better, yes. Uh, you're famous for keeping things on schedule. Um, what's your secret? And I don't really think there is a secret. I think that you just need to set a schedule at the beginning of the process and stick to it. And that's what I do. We're about six years out, five to six years out from our next specification. So at the November meeting, I'll have a schedule all set for the 2016 specification that will show when we're going to have our first ballot our second ballot, our third ballot, and if there's a fourth ballot, and usually there is a fourth ballot, um, that will be on the schedule. And I give that to the task committees because they're the working groups under the specification committee, and they know when that date comes. They, they better, better have their stuff done. That's right. They have to have <laughs> their stuff done, and that goes in the first ballot. We go through that, and once we get to the last ballot, they know that's their last chance to get a change in and anything new has to go into the next edition and it's just rolled over to the next cycle. And that's worked very well, I'd say, for the, the three specifications I've been responsible for here. So you're just very organized. You have to be very organized to do, yes. I think, what I do because I do manage several committees now. Yes, and all the publications, yes. I'm yeah, astounded kind of together. at all the different things that you juggle. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> What do you think would be the most surprising thing to an engineer who uses AISC's information about the work that goes into creating that information? I have actually heard people that come into our office and we'll show them the engineering and research department say, this is it? I thought there'd be like hundreds of people here, you know, working on all these publications mm -hmm. and answering all these questions. And, and it's just a very small department. I think we're around 12 total. But actually the technical publications that we work on, there's probably about three of us that, that manage just that part. Although I have to say all the task committees have staff secretaries like Margaret and so they do contribute in that way by taking notes at the meetings and keeping things going within their task committees. But I would say that would be one of the things that would surprise people. Yeah. I don't think people realize how many volunteers we have that serve on our committees. Exactly, and that I have to give the volunteers credit because really when we put together the specification, there's pr nearly a hundred people involved on all the task committees that work on the various parts of the standard. And so they really are putting the work together, mm -hmm. and we just have to process it and manage it and organize it and review it. But and keep it on schedule. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, how many different editions of the manual have you worked on? 
Well, the first one would be the first edition LRFD manual that came out in... Oh, that was your first. 1986. I worked I on I have the, that one. It's that lighter blue one. Mm -hmm. And then I worked on the infamous ninth edition, the green manual, oh, which yes. everybody loves uh -huh. and holds dear. <laughs> I also worked on the second edition RFD manual, volume one only, and the metric manual, which many of you probably are not familiar with. It was the orange. It's the manual. only orange one. And it was not hardcover. Oh, it wasn't? <laughs> no, it's soft sided. But uh, we did do a metric manual back in the later 90s, 1990s. Was it different than? It was actually based on the second edition LRFD manual, but it was um, a conversion to SI units. Right, so and all the tables would be different. They were all recalculated. Um, it w I don't think we used direct conversions. We actually oh, had okay. them all recalculated. Oh, okay. So. And then finally I did work on the 14th edition manual, and that's the one that's coming out now. And that's actually the first one I was wholly responsible for, ultimately, I guess. And then I did work on the specification that's appeared in both the third, third edition LFD manual and the 13th edition manual. Uh, so we talked about you've been with AISC for over 20 years now. So um, you were at the helm for the historic 2005 specification and the 13th edition manual. Um, how difficult was that undertaking? Well, it was actually a long process because if I look back at my records, we started thinking about this in about the year 2000. And we put together an ad hoc development group uh, that consisted of people like Jim Fisher and Joe Ura, Bill Thornton, some of the leaders, Stan Lindsay, who was the chairman of the spec committee earlier. And we looked at the overall specification and tried to figure out, first of all, how are we going to combine ASD and LRFD? Because AISC had decided we were going to maintain both methods. And as long as ASC E7 has both methods um, provided, AISC will support that. And we looked at a couple different options. One was to put ASD in an appendix, which similar to what ACI did. Another was the side-by-side -side format, which is what we ended up with, and that's what AISI used in their cold form specification. And it was Hank Martin who was with AISI at that time that actually brought that idea forward. And that's the, the route we decided to take. They also looked at the overall organization of the standard, looked at the appendices to decide what kinds of things should be in an appendix, and that was then decided it would be things that are less frequently used. And so those are relegated to the appendices. So overall, looking back, I don't think it was that difficult. I think it was difficult for some of the members of the specification committee. I don't want to mention names, <laughs> but the father of LRFD was very upset that we were bringing ASD into the same cover um, as LRFD. And, and so there were some very spirited discussions at some of our meetings. And I'm um, sorry I wasn't around yet so to hear those. <laughs> yes. I didn't get to hear those. <laughs> Things haven't been quite that lively since, I don't think. Um, that was a big change for, for a lot of people, to put both methods mm -hmm. into one uh, manual. I'm sure it was. But overall, again, I think because we started early enough in the process, it went very smoothly. So even just the compiling and figuring out how to show things side by side, I mean, was that, that seems like that would be difficult, just to figure out how to organize it. Yeah, well, what we did, we did an initial ballot of the specification committee and, and just said, do you approve this layout? And 
that kind of set the stage then for the whole specification and we could go ahead and put the whole thing together just based on we did maybe a couple chapters laid it out this is what it's going to look like and they signed off on that so then we knew going forward no one can vote negative on this particular aspect again <laughs> which simplified things a lot I yeah think. they had their chance right <laughs> have to give them the chance that's the important thing <laughs> You're also in charge of the seismic provisions and the new seismic manual. Um, what's the current status of the seismic document? The 2010 seismic provisions has completed approval and has ANSI accreditation and it's in the printing stages and I expect to see that out by the end of the summer. And the seismic manual is actually well underway. This would be the second edition of the Seismic Design Manual. We're including some new systems. We're actually adding the composite systems that weren't even in the first edition and adding a, a good analysis discussion that wasn't included. We're reviewing all the design examples um, and updating them to the 2010 seismic provisions. So the schedule for that's looking like late 2012 for the Seismic Design Manual. So are those provisions, once once the provisions are done, do they get posted on our website for yes. free download just like the spec does? They will be on the website as soon as we have the final document available. It will be available for free download to everyone. In addition to the specification and the manual, you're also in charge of the design guide series. Um, can you tell us what's coming down the pike as far as the design guides? It looks like Design Guide 25, Web Tapered Frame Design, will be the next design guide. and. It's expected to be also out by the end of the summer. It's, oh, very, so it's close very close to being posted on our website again. It will also be available in print, but it'll be available for free download for our members. Free download, just like every other design guide that's, in the series. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've talked about all these great accomplishments that you have here at AISC. Of which accomplishment are you most proud? Well, I have to actually say, I wasn't looking at my accomplishments at AISC when I read this question. That's okay. I had a time, but I um, actually am going to say it's raising my children. Well, yes, we would, we would hope that would be your greatest accomplishment. Um, because <laughs> because it, it's not been easy, as, as most parents would know. And um, they have reached a stage where they're out um, in college or graduated and are responsible young adults and they're pursuing their dreams and uh, it's it, like I said it's not been easy so I was a single mother for a, a while and worked here full-time and so it was a challenge mm -hmm. and especially when they were teenagers it has its <laughs> own challenges. I'm sure every parent is nodding in agreement. Yes. <laughs> are um, any of your children going to follow in your engineering footsteps? Well, I actually have my younger ones are twins, a boy and a girl, and my son is majoring in chemical engineering at Washington University at St. Louis. I have to be proud to say that. Mm -hmm. And my daughter's majoring in biomedical engineering at Duke University. So they're both going to be engineers. They both are on that path. I Hopefully they'll stay. They just finished their first year. And then I, I should also mention my oldest daughter has graduated and she has a degree in math. So it's sort of a related field. Yeah, and yeah. And, um, she plans to teach secondary education. I'm happy to say they've all gone kind of the math and science <laughs> route. And two of my children are women. So are girls so so that's great that makes yeah. me happy very happy yeah. so after um, your younger 
kids finish their first year in college, are they still technically engineering majors? <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> and actually, the twins are also uh, also ROTC scholarship recipients. Wow. Both of them. Both of my them. son is with the Army ROTC program, and my daughter with the Navy ROTC program. Wow. So they have other things to think about as well. They're very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. It keeps them on the straight and narrow. That's right. Uh, well, I think those are all my questions for you today, Cindy. Thank you again so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Thank you, Margaret. This has been a presentation by the American Institute of Steel Construction. Join us next month, where I'll be talking about Steel Day, this time from the attendees' perspective. For more information on AISC continuing education opportunities, please visit us on the web at AISC.org seminars. And remember, there's always a solution in steel.